Very good morning to all of you brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, greetings also to those of you who are listening in from the Amokyo Hub. Uh, I bring you greetings on behalf of Trinity Theological College, on behalf of the principal, Reverend Dr. Nguyen Fung Yen, and my colleagues. I would like to thank you for your continued support of the college over the years. Uh, this year is our 70th anniversary. Some of you may know that uh, TTC was established in 1948, uh, in the context of the Second World War, in fact, uh, during the Japanese occupation. Uh, leaders of the churches were interned at Changi Prison, and it was at Changi Prison that the vision of having a union college was conceived. And so after the war, in 1948, the college was established. And so this year we celebrate our 70th anniversary. Um, our celebrations began at the start of this year and it will climax on the 5th of October with a Thanksgiving service in the morning and a Thanksgiving dinner in the evening. I would encourage you to log on to our website just to have some updates of news uh, of the events that uh, are going on in the college. Being the 70th anniversary, we are very conscious of the fact of God's grace sustaining the college over the years uh, giving us the resources that's needed for the Ministry of Theological Education. And we are also very conscious of the times in which we live. Be it in the realm of ethics or theology or politics, there are huge challenges in our changing world and society that confronts us as Christians. As a college that trains future pastors, Christian workers and those who work in the marketplace, uh, we need to hold on firmly to the Word of God. We need to teach in a way that is faithful to the gospel in the midst of all the challenges that we face in our world and in our society today. So theological training is a huge responsibility. It cannot be undertaken without the spiritual support of God's people. And so I would encourage you to remember us in your prayers, even as you remember TTC this weekend. Remember in particular the faculty members. You know, it's one thing to be able to teach well in class. It's quite another to model what it means to handle the things of God with godly fear. To teach in such a way that is Christ-exalting and God-honoring. So do remember us in your prayers uh, that as we teach the Word of God and be faithful stewards of the gospel He has entrusted to us, that students will not only understand what they hear, but they will see it reflected in the lives of our faculty members. This morning I've chosen uh, for our meditation a text taken from uh, the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. Would you turn with me to that passage in your Bibles? Luke chapter 2, reading from verse 41 to 52. Now the parents of Jesus went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. 
And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. This is the word of the Lord. Let us go to God in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In December 2015, Star Wars, The Force Awakens, made movie history when it broke box office records by its earnings. By the end of the first week of its release, it was estimated that the movie raked in a total of 776 million US dollars. 247 million from the US alone and 529 million globally. My family and I uh, contributed to that 529 million. Like many other fans of Star Wars, I went with excitement to watch it with my family when uh, Episode 7, The Force Awakens, was released. It was a blast from the past. Um, I saw the various characters of the movie that fascinated me in my childhood one more time. There was Han Solo and Chewbacca, and then there was Princess Leia. She's been promoted, of course, to General Leia. Uh, And of course, there was uh, Luke Skywalker. He put on some weight, but it's the same guy. Throughout the movie, there were a number of heartwarming moments when I felt as if I'm carrying on from where I left in 1983. Now, 1983 was the year when Episode 6, The Return of the Jedi, was released. And at the end of the movie, I was uh, honestly tempted to purchase a lightsaber for myself. You know, it looks kind of nice with this uniform. (laughs) If, like myself you are one of those who have been following the release of Star Wars since 1977, then you may have had the experience of some sense of dissatisfaction uh, if you had watched Episode 7, The Force Awakens. The first trilogy, Episodes uh, 4 to 6, explored the relationship between Luke Skywalker and his father, Anakin. But it revealed nothing of Anakin's childhood and how he became Darth Vader. The second trilogy, episodes 1 to 3, filled in the gaps. But with the release of The Force Awakens, episode 7, we are left wondering again, who is the character Rey, R-E-Y? Why is she able to use the Force and wield a lightsaber? Is she related to the Skywalker family in any way? You know, Rey is one of the main characters. Episode 8, The Last Jedi, makes it worse doesn't tell us anything more. The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi tells us nothing about Rey's childhood. 
These movies make us ask questions about the history of some of the characters, but they do not give us the answers. Now, if you read the opening chapters of the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, and John, you may come away with the exact same experience. Matthew and Mark tell us about the birth of Jesus and then jump straight into his adult life. John, he does not even tell us about his birth. The only clue he gave was chapter 1 verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's it. Just one sentence assuming the birth of Jesus. And when Jesus comes on the scene in John's gospel, he was already an adult. So what happened to Jesus' childhood? Who were some of his childhood friends? Did Jesus know that he's the Messiah when he was a child? Did he perform miracles as a boy? How did his laughter sound like? What were some of the games that Jesus played? Maybe some of our children might want to play them as well. Well, we have no answers to all these questions. We have no records of Jesus' childhood in the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, and John. The only Gospel that tells us something about the childhood of Jesus is the Gospel of Luke. The only piece of biblical information that we know of Jesus as a boy is found in a passage that I read earlier to you. Now, how did Luke come to know about this incident that was read to us earlier? Most likely, it was Mary who told Luke the story of Jesus in the temple. In verses 48 and 49, Luke tells us about a conversation that went on between Mary and Jesus. And Luke consulted eyewitnesses. Probably, he consulted Mary. Joseph was present when the conversation happened between Mary and Jesus, but Joseph was in the background. It was Mary who spoke. It was Mary whom Luke says in verse 51, she treasured all these things in her heart. So what Jesus told Mary on that occasion, Mary took special note of it. Mary may have told Luke other things about Jesus when he was a boy, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Luke only included what we have in verse 41 to 52. So there must have been something about this story that made Luke decide to put it in his gospel. And I want to suggest to you that a significant reason why Luke did it is because of the words Jesus said to Mary. Jesus said to her, verse 49, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now actually, Jesus did not mention the word house. It's not there in the original text. What Jesus said was something like this. Did you not know that I must be about my father's? To be at my father's or about my father's can either mean at my father's house because Mary and Joseph found Jesus in the temple or it could mean, as the King James Version puts it, to be about my father's business. Both are possible and their meanings overlap. As the Anglican commentator N.T. Wright puts it, Jesus says, I had to be busy at my father's work. These are the first recorded words of Jesus. They are extremely important because they sum up the identity 
and the mission of Jesus. Jesus calls God my Father, which suggests that He is the Son of God. And the mission of Jesus is to be about His Father's business. Now, it's remarkable, quite remarkable, that Jesus at the age of 12 uh, was already clear about who He was and what He was to do with His life. I mean, just think about uh, the time when all of us were 12 years old. What were we, what were we doing? I, I, I can remember myself sitting uh, beside the window and looking out at the sky. Not that I was contemplating, but there was just nothing in my brains. <laughs> um, you know, filling time with nothing much to do. Jesus wasn't like that. I mean, he was clear about his identity and mission at 12 years old. Through the Holy Spirit, Luke saw the significance of these words of Jesus and he included them in his gospel. And so for the rest of our time together, I want to draw three lessons from this passage for us this morning. And I want to sum up the lessons uh, with three simple words. The first word or the first lesson is commitment. The second is priority. And the third, faithfulness. It's simple enough, huh? Commitment, priority, faithfulness. If you like acronyms, it's CPF. Right? <laughs> now let's start with lesson number one. The lesson of commitment. Verse 41 and 42. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. Joseph and Mary went up to Jerusalem every year to celebrate the Passover feast. Now this is an indication that they took their faith seriously. Why? Because only Jewish men were required to go annually to the feast. But the family of Joseph decided that both husband and wife will go every year. Traveling to Jerusalem is time-consuming and it is costly. You have to stop your work for a while. You need to find accommodation and pay for it. You have to purchase animals for the sacrifice in the temple. And both Joseph and Mary made it a commitment to be at the annual feast. They wanted to celebrate God's deliverance of their people from, from slavery in Egypt. That's a big part of the celebration at the feast. It's a celebration of freedom from slavery in Egypt that their forefathers experienced. And Joseph and Mary made it a point to be at this annual feast. They were clear about their identity as members of God's people. And they took their faith seriously. In other words, it was a godly family and Jesus was part of that family. We are not told whether Jesus went up with them to Jerusalem every year, but we do know that when Jesus was 12 years old, he made the journey to Jerusalem with his parents. Now there's something about being 12 years old as a Jewish boy that is extremely significant here. And we will not be catching the point if we are not uh, familiar with the Jewish background. 12 years old is a very significant year for a Jewish boy. It is the final year of his boyhood. When a boy reaches 13 years old, he is considered to have entered manhood. But in order to take on the full responsibilities of a Jewish man, a boy must prepare himself for it. He must prepare 
to become what the Jews call Bar Mitzvah, a son of the law or a son of the commandment. When a Jewish boy becomes a son of the law at 13, he is obligated to keep the laws that God revealed to Moses. And in order to do that, he needs to know the law to begin with. He needs to understand what it means, at least the general thrust of the meaning of the law. And he needs to know how it applies to life. So, this is serious stuff. You can't just say, well, let me wait till it's a week away before my bar mitzvah exam and then I'll start studying. Okay? Well, try studying 613 laws and regulations and see whether you can make it within a week. That's just not the way things are done. You can't do it. In fact, uh, the Jewish rabbi said that when a boy turned 12, it was time for him to go up to Jerusalem with his father and learn the rituals for Passover. This is part of the preparation for manhood. Serious preparation begins a year before. And so Luke says that when Jesus was 12, he went up to Jerusalem with his parents. He was fully committed to serious preparation. How do we know that? Verse 43 when the feast was ended, we are told the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. And we do know what he did there in Jerusalem, don't we? Jesus went to the TTC in Jerusalem to listen to the professors of theology expound the law. Luke tells us that Jesus listened, asked questions, and he gave answers. He was not a passive learner. He was deeply engaged in a conversation with those professors. Jesus wanted to know what the law means. And so he put questions to the experts of the law. And he gave answers to how they are to be applied. And at the end of the tutorial that Jesus attended, we are told in verse 47, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and answers. Now this is clear evidence of the unusual wisdom of Jesus at 12 years old. Luke draws attention to the fact that Jesus advanced in wisdom in verse 52. So wisdom was a striking quality that Luke saw in the story. 12 years old is a critical year in the life of Jesus. He prepared himself seriously to be committed to God and to keeping God's law. Now, it's a wonderful thing to have um, younger folks in our worship services. I always tell churches when I go around preaching and when I do see young people, uh, I usually commend them because that's the way the early church worshipped. And I want to take the opportunity at this service to say some words to the young people in our midst. Um, if you consider yourself young, count yourself in the group that I'll be speaking to. If you're a young person, okay, whether youth or young adult, let me just say this to you. There comes a point in your life when you have to decide on a radical commitment to God and to His ways. Those of you who have grown up in this church because your parents brought you here, there comes a point where you can no longer just follow along without personal commitment. You will need to personally decide whether or not you will embrace the faith of your parents and follow Jesus. 
Those of you who are here because your friends brought you here or your relative took you here, the same challenge apply. There comes a critical moment when you need to decide whether you will commit yourself to the Father's business and enter spiritual manhood. And if you do, like Jesus, you need to engage in serious preparation. In the practice of the Methodist Church, there are three critical moments of commitment to God. They are baptism, confirmation, and acceptance of members. And you can actually find all three mentioned on page 33 to 53 of the United Methodist Hymnal. We don't refer much to the hymnal these days, but I will encourage you to just flip through pages 33 to 53. Baptism, confirmation, acceptance of members, these are all public events. We take sacred vows of commitment before God and His people on these occasions. And what do we commit ourselves to? We commit ourselves to God and to His Word. We commit ourselves to God's ways and to God's mission. We commit ourselves to being a vital member of this church, serving others with our gifts and graces. Or to put it simply, in the words of Jesus, we commit ourselves to the Father's business. So I would encourage you to go read those words in our hymnal carefully if you have forgotten or you have not done so. They can be summed up as a commitment to God and to His business. If God is speaking to you this morning about committing your life to His will and to His work, and you want to take that step of faith to be baptized or confirmed as a member of this church, please do speak with your pastors or the uh, pastoral staff team members. I'm quite sure they will not make you memorize 613 laws, but they will surely point you to what is needed to be done for serious preparation. The first lesson from the life of Jesus as a boy is the lesson of commitment. The second is that of priority. And this lesson comes out very clearly in the dynamics between the 12-year-old Jesus and his earthly parents. Now Luke tells us that his parents did not know that Jesus was not with them. Take a look at verses 44 and 45. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. Now this is one of those nightmare moments for those of us who are parents. You know, you bring your family along for an outing and there you are drawn to the things that you see in the shops that catches your attention. Um, so you turn your back to your child for a moment to examine the items and you assume that your husband will be looking after your child. Uh, and when you turn to find and search for your child, you, f- you, you, you find that your child has gone missing. And your wife, on the other hand, assumes that you are going to take care of the child and she goes on her way as well to look for items in the shops and eventually to discover that your child has gone missing. Now, if your, if your child is missing in a shopping mall, I think the solution is quite straightforward. You go to the information counter and you ask them to blast the name of your child through the loudspeakers. Hopefully, they hear it and they know where to go. But Joseph and Mary did not have that advantage. In those days, they traveled in caravans. The women traveled first and then the men 
with quite a distance between them. So communications had to be done before the first group set off. Mary assumed that Jesus was with Joseph and the men, and so she went ahead. Joseph assumed that Jesus had left with his mother. And it was not until the evening, when both groups met to set up camp for the night, that they realized Jesus was missing. Now what will you do if you are in the shoes of Joseph and Mary? Now, if I put myself in their shoes, I think the first thing I would do is to drop everything else and just go back to Jerusalem to search for Jesus. And I suspect that's what Joseph and Mary did. They have traveled for a day already, so it would have taken them another day to travel back. And after arriving at Jerusalem, they would still need to decide where to look for Jesus. So they travel one day out of Jerusalem, one day back, and on the third day, they finally found Jesus. Verse 46. After three days, they found him in a temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Like all parents who have been frantically searching for their child, Joseph and Mary were both relieved and extremely upset when they found Jesus. Instead of appearing lost and anxious, Jesus seemed to have been perfectly fine. He was enjoying himself among the professors of theology at TTC in Jerusalem. Uh, and just a word here, TTC is not a scary place, please. You can come and worship, uh, visit us and I can, uh, I can assure you that it's a very friendly environment. Jesus was having a lively discussion. So feeling upset, Mary went up to Jesus and she scolded him. Son, why have you treated us so? Meaning, Jesus, you should have known better than to have done this to us. She goes on. Your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And then Jesus looked at Mary and gave her a very shocking reply. Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be at my father's business? Notice that there are two fathers in this conversation. Mary says, your father and I have been searching for you. She invoked the authority of Joseph as the head of the house. And Jesus says, I have another father, my father. I must be at my father's business. There are two sets of relationships here. One is earthly, the other heavenly. As far as Jesus is concerned, his relationship with God the Father takes priority over his relationship with his earthly parents. In fact, from the perspective of Jesus, Joseph and Mary ought to know this. That is why he said to them, did you not know that I must be at my father's business? Jesus was not being rude. He was simply being honest. They ought to know. Why? Because Joseph and Mary had already been told by the angel about the identity and the mission of Jesus. They received supernatural revelation about Jesus more than 12 years ago. Can you remember what the angel said to Mary? He said, you were conceived 
and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of Joseph. No, he will be called the son of the Most High. After 12 years, have they forgotten that Jesus is the Son of the Most High, the Son of God? His relationship with God as God's Son takes priority over all other relationships, including His relationship with Mary and Joseph. This does not mean that Jesus is entitled to disobey his earthly parents as and when he chooses. But it does mean that there will be occasions when it is far more important to be in God's temple and at God's business than to be in the company of his earthly parents. And there's a very important lesson here about priority, especially for those of us who are parents. I had a word for the young people earlier, And let me take this opportunity to speak to those of us who are parents. I'm a parent too. I have two daughters. My older daughter is 17 years old and my younger daughter is 12. And so the Word of God is challenging me even as I'm preaching to you. Permit me to say this to those of us who are parents. We are not the ultimate owners of our children. God is. We are simply stewards of God's wonderful gift in our children. Each one of our child is precious in God's sight and God has a special purpose for each one of them. A big part of being a Christian parent is to help our children come into that primary relationship that Jesus had with God the Father. There will be moments in our parenting when our expectations for our children may not necessarily coincide with God's will for them. Joseph and Mary expected Jesus to be where they were. And like Joseph and Mary, we may want our children to be where we are. Where we are in our jobs, pushing them to a particular profession, where we are in our homes, where we are in our country, when God may be calling them somewhere else. There will be moments of tension when our expectations clash. And when those occasions arise, God's word today challenges us to point our children to the will of God the Father for them. The right thing to do is to say to them, son or daughter, if you must do this because this is the Father's business in your life, I give you my blessings. I may not fully understand it, but I give you my blessings because your relationship with your heavenly father has to take priority. Commitment, priority, thirdly and finally, faithfulness. And with this I'll conclude. Did you notice what Jesus did after his conversation with Mary? Luke says in verse 51, And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and was submissive or obedient to them. Now, do you feel that this is an anticlimax? Wouldn't it be more exciting if Luke tells us that Jesus came back the following year, was initiated into manhood, and then went about the region preaching the kingdom of God and performing miracles? Well, 
This is indeed going to happen, but not for another 18 years. The public ministry of Jesus only began when he was 30 years old. And in the meantime, Jesus continued faithfully doing what he did as the son of Joseph and Mary. Scripture does not tell us the details of what he did in Nazareth. Some people called him the carpenter's son. So Jesus might have helped Joseph in carpentry, uh, making furniture and equipment. If Jesus did that, it means that he was faithfully at the same task for many more years before his public ministry. Whether it was carpentry or other forms of work, it was the same old thing that Jesus did for another 18 years. Mundane things, ordinary things, but they are things which are in every way also the business of the Father for him. And Jesus discharged them faithfully. I've spoken to the young people and the parents. Let me end the sermon with a word for all of us here as a congregation. I don't know what your situation is in life when you came to church this morning. Maybe for some of us, the Father's business for us is to move us on to new jobs and new ventures with new relationships and new responsibilities. I'm one of those who have to face this particular situation. Uh, I'm a teacher at heart, but I've been given administrative and leadership roles. And so I can't teach as much as I would like to. And God is pushing me outside my own comfort zone. And maybe some of you are in the same position as I. But I suspect that for most of us, the Father's business for us is to be faithfully discharging the same thing like what Jesus did. If you are a teacher, you'll be back teaching on Monday. If you are a student, you'll be back studying. If you are a mother with a young baby, you'll still be caring for your child. You'll still be changing nappies and feeding at unearthly hours. And if you are serving in certain ministries in this church, you will still be at the same ministry week after week. And the word of God to you today is to be faithful like Jesus. Whether God is moving us into new ventures or keeping us at old ones, God's word to us is, this morning is clear. Commitment, priority and faithfulness. May God bless us with the grace to be more like Jesus in our commitment to the Father's business, in the priority that we give to our relationship with God the Father, and in our faithfulness at the task that He has entrusted to all of us. Shall we bow for a moment of prayer? God our Father, we want to be like Jesus. We want to be a Christian in our heart and to follow Christ. Give us the grace to do so, for we ask this in his precious name. Amen.